Chapter forty six of The Sword of Damocles by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Man Cummins. O oh, day and night, but this is wondrous strange. Henry V. Shut up in measureless content. Othello. The lights were yet shining in Mr. Stuyvesant's parlours though the guests were gone who but a short time before had assembled there to witness the marriage of cicely's dear friend paula at one end of the room stood mr sylvester and bertram the former gazing with the eyes of a bridegroom at the delicate white-clad figure of paula just leaving the apartment with cicely i have but one cause for regret said mr sylvester as the door closed i could have wished that you and cicely had participated in our joy and received the minister's benediction at the same moment as ourselves yes said bertram with a short sigh but it will come in time it cannot be but that our efforts must finally succeed i have just had a new idea that of putting the watchman on the hunt for hopgood they are old friends, and he ought to know all the others' haunts and possible hiding-places. If Fanning could have helped us, he would have told us long ago. He knows that Hopgood is missing, and that we are ready to pay well for any information concerning him. But they are old cronies, and possibly Fanning is keeping quiet out of consideration for his friend. No, I have had a talk with Fanning, and there was no mistaking his look of surprise when told the other had run away, under suspicion of being connected with a robbery on the bank's effects. He knows no more of Hopgood than we do, or his wife does, or the police even. It is a strange mystery, and one to which I fear we shall never obtain the key. But don't let me discourage you. After a suitable time, Mr. Stuyvesant will— he paused for that gentleman was approaching him there is a man outside who insists upon seeing me says he knows there has just been a wedding here but that the matter he has to communicate is very important and won't bear putting off the name on his card is cummins i am afraid i shall have to admit him that is if you have no objection mr sylvester and bertram at once drew back with ready acquiescence they had scarcely taken their stand at the other end of the apartment when the man came in. He was of robust build, round, precise, and businesslike. He had taken off his hat, but still wore his overcoat. His face, in spite of a profusion of red whiskers and a decided pair of goggles, was earnest and straightforward. He walked at once up to Mr. Stuyvesant. "'Your pardon,' said he, in a quick tone but I hear you have been somewhat exercised of late over the disappearance of certain bonds from one of the boxes in the Madison Bank. I am a detective, and in the course of my duty have come upon a few facts that may help to explain matters. Mr. Sylvester and Bertram at once started forward. This was a topic that demanded their attention, as well as that of the master of the house. The man cast them a quick look from behind his goggles and seeming to recognise them included them in his next question what do you think of the watchman fanning think we don't think uttered mr stuyvesant sharply he has been in the employ of the bank for twelve years and we know him to be honest 
yet he is the man who stole your bonds impossible the very man mr sylvester stepped up to him who are you and how do you know this i have said my name is cummins and i know this because i have wormed myself into the man's confidence and have got the bonds together with his confession here in my pocket and he drew out the long-lost bonds which he handed to their owner with a bit of paper on which was inscribed in the handwriting of the watchman an acknowledgment to the effect that he alone and unassisted had perpetrated the robbery which had raised such scandal in the bank and led to the disappearance of hopgood and the man himself cried bertram when they had all read this where is he oh i allowed him to escape mr sylvester frowned there is something about this i don't understand said he how came you to take such an interest in this matter and why did you let the man escape after acknowledging his crime with a quick not undignified action cummins stepped back gentlemen said he it is allowable in a detective in the course of his duty to resort to means for eliciting the truth that in any other cause and for any other purpose would be denominated as unmanly if not mean and contemptible when i heard of this robbery as i did the day after its perpetration my mind flew immediately to the watchman as the possible culprit i did not know that he had done the deed and i did not see how he could have possessed the means of doing it but i had been acquainted with him for some time and certain expressions which i had overheard him use expressions that had passed over me lightly at the time now recurred to my mind with startling distinctness if a man knew the combination of the vault door how easily he could make himself rich from the contents of those boxes was one i remember and another i have worked in the bank for twelve years and have not so much money laid up against a rainy day as would furnish mr sylvester in cigars for a month the fact that he had no opportunity to learn the combination was the only stumbling-block in the way of my conclusions but that obstacle was soon removed in a talk with the janitor's wife a good woman sirs but a trifle conceited i learned that he had once had the very opportunity of which i speak provided he was smart enough to recognize the fact the way it came about was this hopgood who always meant to do about the right thing as i know was one morning very sick so sick that when the time came for him to go down and open the vaults for the day he couldn't stir from his bed or at least thought he couldn't twice had the watchman rung for him and twice had he tried to get up only to fall back again on his pillow at last the call became imperative the clerks would soon be in and the books were not even in readiness for them calling his wife to him he asked if she thought she could open the vault door provided she knew the combination she returned a quite eager yes being a naturally vain woman and moreover a little sore over the fact that her husband never entrusted her with any of his secrets then said he listen to those three numbers that i give you and turn the knob accordingly explaining the matter in a way best calculated to enlighten her as to what she had to do she professed herself as understanding perfectly 
and went off in quite a nutter of satisfaction to accomplish her task but though he did not know it at the time it seems that her heart failed her when she got into the hall and struck with fear lest she should forget the numbers before she got to the foot of the stairs she came back and carefully wrote them down on a piece of paper armed with which she started for the second time to fulfil her task the watchman was in the bank when she entered and to his expressions of surprise she answered that her husband was ill and that she was going to open the vaults he offered to help her but she stared at him with astonishment and waiting till he had walked to the other end of the bank proceeded to the vault door and after carefully consulting the paper in her hand was about to turn the knob as directed when hopgood himself came into the room he was too anxious he said to keep in bed and though he trembled at every step came forward and accomplished the task himself he did not see the paper in his wife's hand nor notice her when she tore it up and threw the pieces in the waste-basket near by but the watchman may have observed her and as it afterwards proved did and thus became acquainted with the combination that unlocked the outer vault doors <laughs> broke in mr sylvester if this is true why didn't hopgood inform me of the matter when i questioned him so closely because he had forgotten the circumstance he was in a fever at the time and having eventually unlocked the vault himself lost sight of the fact that he had previously sent his wife to do it he went back to his bed after the clerks came in and did not get up again till night he may have thought the whole occurrence part of the delirium which more than once assailed him that day i remember his being sick said bertram it was two or three days before the robbery the very day before corrected the man but let me tell my story in my own way having learned from mrs hopgood of this opportunity which had been given to fanning i made up my mind to sift the matter being as i have said a friend of his i didn't want to peach on him unless he was guilty to blast an honest man's reputation is i think one of the meanest tricks of which a fellow can be guilty but the truth i had to know and in order to learn it a deep and delicate game was necessary gentlemen when the police have strong suspicions against a person whose reputation is above reproach and whose conduct affords no opportunity for impeachment they set a spring for him one of their number disguises himself and making the acquaintance of this person insinuates himself by slow degrees often at the cost of months of effort into his friendship and if possible into his confidence tis a detestable piece of business but it is all that will serve in some cases and has at least the merit of being as dangerous as it is detestable this plan i undertook with fanning changing my appearance to suit the necessities of the case i took board in the small house in brooklyn where he puts up and being well acquainted with his tastes knew how to adapt myself to his liking he was a busy man and being obliged by his duties to turn night into day had not much time to bestow upon me or any one else but heedful of this i managed to make the most of the spare moments that saw us together and ere long we were very good comrades and further on very good friends
the day when i first ventured to suggest that honesty was all very well as long as it paid was a memorable one to me in that cast of the die i was either to win or lose the game i had undertaken i won after a feint or two to see if i were in earnest he fell into the net and though he did not commit himself then it was not long before he came to me and deliberately requested my assistance in disposing of some bonds which he was smart enough to acquire but not daring enough to attempt to sell of course the whole story came out and i was sympathetic enough till i got the bonds into my hands then but i leave you to imagine what followed enough that i wrung this confession from him and that in consideration of the doubtful game i had played upon him let him go where he is by this time beyond the chance of pursuit but your duty to your superior your oath as a member of the force my superior is here said the man pointing to mr sylvester an unconscious one i own but still my superior and as for my being a member of the force that was true five years ago but not to-day and brushing off his whiskers with one hand and taking off his goggles with the other hopgood the janitor stood before them it was a radiant figure that met cicely when she came downstairs with paula and a joyous group that soon surrounded the now blushing and embarrassed janitor with questions and remarks concerning this great and unexpected development of affairs but the fervour with which mr stuyvesant clasped bertram's hand and the look with which cicely turned from her young lover to bestow a final kiss upon the departing bride was worth all the pains and self-denial of the last few weeks or so the janitor thought who with a quicker comprehension than usual had divined the situation and rejoiced in the result but the most curious thing of all was to observe how with the taking off of his goggles hopgood had relapsed into his old shrinking easily embarrassed self the man who but a few minutes before had related in their hearing a clear and succinct narrative now shrank if a question was put him and stammered in quite his ancient fashion when he answered mr sylvester's shake of the hand by a hurried i am going to see my wife now sir she's a good woman if a little flighty and will be the last one in the future to beg me to put more confidence in her will you tell me where she is sir mr stuyvesant informed him then added but look here hopgood answer me one thing before you go why is it that with such talents as you possess you didn't stay in the police force you are a regular genius in your way and ought not to drone away your existence as a janitor ah sir replied the other shaking his head a man who is only capable of assuming one disguise isn't good for much as a professional detective goggles and red whiskers will deceive one rogue but not fifty my eyes were my bane sir and ultimately cost me my place while i could cover them up i was all right it not only made a man of me leaving me free to talk and freer to think but disguised me so my best friends couldn't recognize me but after a while my goggles were too well known for me to be considered of much further use to the department 
and I was obliged to send in my resignation. It is too bad, but I have no versatility, sir. I'm either the clumsy, stammering creature you have always known, or else I am the man Cummins you saw here a few minutes ago. In either case, an honest fellow, answered Mr. Sylvester, and allowed the janitor to depart. One more scene, and this in the house which Paula is henceforth to make a home for herself and its once melancholy owner. They have come back from their wedding journey, and are standing in their old fashion, he at the foot, and she halfway up the stairs. Suddenly she turns and descends to his side. No, I will not wait, said she. Here, on this spot we both love so well, and in this the first hour of our return, I will unburden my mind of what I have to say. Edward, is there nothing of all the past that still rests upon you like a shadow, not one little regret you could wish taken away? No, said he, enfolding her in his arms with a solemn smile. The great gift which I hold is the fruit of that past, perhaps. I cannot wish it changed. But the sense of obligation never fulfilled, would you not be happier if that were removed? Perhaps, he said, but it cannot be now. I shall have to live without being perfectly happy. She lifted her face, and her smile shone like a star. Oh, God is good, she cried. You shall not lack being perfectly happy. And taking a little paper out of her pocket, she put it in his hand. We found that hidden in Jacqueline Jaffa's breast when we went to lay her out for burial. It was only a line, but it made Mr. Sylvester's brow flush and his voice tremble. Whatever I own, and I have been told that I am far from penniless, I desire to have given to the dear and disinterested girl that first told me of Marjorie Hamlin's vigil. Paula, 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 thou art indeed my good gift. May God make me worthy of your love, and of this his last and most unexpected mercy. And the look which crossed her face was that sweet and unearthly radiance which speaks of perfect peace. End of chapter 46 Recording by Mary Bard, Derby, England End of The Sword of Damocles by Anna Catherine Green